Hey there, my name is Sarah Bowling, and I'm so excited that you're listening to my podcast. I'm praying that God speaks to you through this podcast. Your heart is encouraged and overflowing with love. Thank you so much for listening. Love to have you subscribe and of course share this with your friends. I know God has really great things for you in this time together. Thanks so much. You know, we've been doing this series called Conversations with Jesus. And if you're an Encounter Church family, you know, I've been doing my four groups. I have my little signs, you know. We've been talking about moving from receiver, renegade, uh, what's the other one? Reverend. Yeah, just checking if you're paying attention. All the way over to relater, right? Remember? And what this means is Jesus has conversations um, with four main groups of people. He has lots of conversations with people who are reverent. That's a polite way to say the religious people. (laughs) Then, you know, he lights them up pretty much all the time. He also had conversations with people who I call receivers, right? They just got miracles from Jesus. Free lunch, miracles, disease, leprosy. They got cool stuff from Jesus. And that's fantastic. He had conversations with them. He had conversations with the renegades, right? The tax collectors, the sinners, all those people, right? And he also had conversations with people that I call relators. The relators would be his disciples, closest followers. And if you notice, there's a, a, a transition. Everybody starts off with Jesus in some shape, fashion, or form as one of these kind of categories. But the end game for our conversations with Jesus is to become a relator, a close friend, one of the, not Judas, right? Well, I don't want to be Judas. Judas, the guy who betrayed him and all. I want to be like, one. I'd prefer to be like John. Like if I had my end game, I'd like to be John because John is like, he's the disciple whom Jesus loves. I mean, fantastic, rich, deep conversations and very close, close connection. So we're on some kind of journey. But at the same time, we have our partners here. Uh, from all over the U.S. and want to thank our partners for joining our Encounter family today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Glad to have you here. You're part of our family today. And the theme for our partner weekend is faith for your family, right? I mean, so in my mind, I'm like, okay, conversations with Jesus, family, how do we put those two together? Right? I mean, seriously. And they're like, you need to do this, Sarah. I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit, <laughs> pony up, because you need to come through on this. And, that, and so I was like, okay, what does that look like? So today what we're doing is we're doing conversations with Jesus that he had with his family. Huh, right? I know. All of your eyebrows went up a little bit. That was cool. Mine did too. Because Jesus basically had four conversations with his family. And they're interesting conversations. If I was you, I'd take notes. For those of you who are pastors in the room, make it better. Steal it, make it better. (laughs) That's our family joke. I'm going to make that amazing. That was really good. Anyways, four conversations with Jesus. And it's interesting because these four conversations deal with four concerns that we have. And they're almost universal concerns that we have with our families. I don't care if if you have no kids All of us have parents. Most of us have siblings. We have adopted aunts, uncles, whatever. We all have family. And these four concerns are things Jesus talked about with his family. How many of you be interested in some of those concerns? Hello. Yeah, me too. So the first concern I speak to is, or that he dealt with, is a concern for safety. (laughs) 
Anybody want your, your family to be safe? Seriously, we totally want them to be safe. I mean, COVID has kind of amped that idea up to a pretty high level. But I think about my kids and I'm like, hey, you need to wear sunscreen because we have fair skin. <laughs> All of Wallace Hickey, thank you so much. We need to wear uh, life jackets when we swim because some of my family are not pristine swimmers. We have some other concerns, like I know some of their proclivities, their tendencies for speed. They like to maybe drive fast. That comes from me. So, so I get it. But here's the thing. Jesus had a conversation with his mom and dad, and it revolved around safety. And the first where we read about this is in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 51. And in this situation, Jesus has gone with his mom and dad to Jerusalem. Uh, they've gone to do the annual sacrifice thing. And he's 12 years old. And they're with another group of, of fellow people, family, friends from Bethlehem. And they stay a day or two in Jerusalem, do the sacrifice thing. And then they decide to come home. And as they're coming home, it's a whole collection. So, you know, when you travel in a group, you know, you think your family's all together. And, you know, they're watching your kids, you're watching their that whole thing. So what happens is as they're walking home, they get out away a day or so from Jerusalem. And Mary and Joseph... Jesus' mom and dad start looking for him and they can't find him. Hey, I thought you had him. No, I thought you had him. Anybody have that experience with your kids? We've left him at church because we thought somebody else had him. <laughs> right? I know, I know. I've done it. Yeah, that's what it is. So we get, we, we're concerned about their safety. And so they go back to, Mary and Joseph go back to Jerusalem and they look around for three days. Now, if you're parents and you're looking for your son, daughter for three days, how many of you know you're jittery? Like you just amp that up like, I mean, if we don't, so they're looking for him all over the place and he's not showing up. Finally, they go to the temple and lo and behold, there he is. And it's interesting because he's talking with all the religious leaders and basically he's doing a Q&A. Can you imagine doing Q&A with Jesus when he's 12? <laughs> I can't, I, like, I also think, what, what would you say? I lost Jesus? <laughs> I lost the son of God? He's on my watch and I lost him? That feels awkward, right? I mean, how do you deal with that? But this is what I, I appreciate Jesus says. In verse 48, when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mom said to him, classic mom, son, why have you treated us this way? Right? Can't you hear that? All of us moms in the room will be like, duh. <laughs> what are you doing? We have been anxiously looking for you. Never mind that he's safe because they're concerned about his safety. And he says to them, why is it you're looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? That's a mic drop right there. Because she is speaking with him in terms of blood and, and, you know, like genetics. And he replies to her in terms of not blood, but more so spiritual family. Spiritual family. And what he does here is he answers her anxious question and says to her in so many words, my father who is in heaven is looking out and taking care of me. And at the same time, 
we should listen with our own ears and hear that our Heavenly Father is looking out and taking care of our family. And no amount of worry on your part is going to improve <laughs> the Heavenly Father's care and protection. Our family's safety, first and foremost, is in our Heavenly Father's hands. And if that can't be ground zero, then we will continue to live in a totally anxious, nervous, and fear-filled life as it relates to our family. Ultimately, we have to entrust into the hands of our loving Heavenly Father, our family, our kids, our parents, our siblings, and you're like, well, the choices that they're making. But isn't our Heavenly Father able to handle their choices? I look at my life and I say, "Woo, you handled some of my choices really quite well. Well, if God can do it with mine, my Heavenly Father, God can do it with your family as well. So first and foremost, when we think about safety, we have to appreciate and level set. Wait a second. Our Heavenly Father is the best protector that ever existed throughout all of time. Yes and amen? Amen. So the second conversation that Jesus has is a provision conversation. Provision. So safety is a big deal with our family, but so is provision. Enough money, enough time, enough resources, enough space. I remember when we lived out in Parker, and uh, we had Isabel. We had a three-bedroom house. It was fine. It was a little small, but we had Isabel. Isabel was good. We got her room organized. Then we had David, and our kids we had in rapid succession, 18 months apart. Oh, yes. <laughs> And some of you remember that. Kathy Uliberry, you remember I looked like a head deer in headlights for two years, which is fine, mostly. Um, they survived. We didn't have any pets. We just had kids. So, but by the time, by the time we got to Benji, Benji's our third, we had three. And, and recently I said, you know, this house is too small. We got to have a bigger house. So provision, provision's a big deal. It's important to us, be that time, be that money, space, uh, and accommodating our kids. And Jesus speaks to this as well in John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Because this is where Jesus turns the water into wine. And I appreciate that as they're at this wedding feast, his mom comes to him because they run out of wine. And classic moms always wanting our kids to solve something, especially Jesus. <laughs> he could solve anything, right? And his mom comes to him and says, hey, son, they've run out of wine. And he speaks back to her. And I appreciate that she takes a need and she brings it to Jesus. And I would say for us, that's the same solution. Everybody's got needs. Seriously. It may not be finances. You might have some needs for emotional support. You might have some needs for direction, for solutions. You might have some needs for wisdom. But looking at all the things around us is never going to solve those needs until we look first and foremost to Jesus. Jesus meets the needs. So Jesus says to her, woman, we've had this conversation before, woman, I don't, I know, the theologians say he didn't mean it in a, you know, cheeky way. I don't know. It's still a struggle for me because if my boys said to me, woman, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> woman, <laughs> what does that have to do with us? Right? 
my time has not yet come. And I like this because Jesus speaks to provision, but he also speaks to timing. Because I think sometimes when we think about provision, we also have a timeline in mind. You got to meet it by this deadline. And I appreciate that Jesus says, look, I'm the master of time. Not only do I do, take care of provision, but I also take care of deadlines. So you may have a deadline. I've got to have this answer. I've got to have this solution by, by whatever deadline. But Jesus says, I can, I can handle that. I can handle both the deadline as well as the provision. I remember when I was first married, I was applying for graduate school. And uh, I was trying to get in at a university, a local university, and I kept calling them every week (laughs) because there was a deadline. I was like, I want to get in by January. And they kept putting me off and putting me off and putting me off. And I'm standing in faith, believing God, you know, faithful, fervent, prayer of righteousness and all that. And they're not answering me, and I'm getting frustrated, and we're getting closer and closer to the deadline. It's not happening. And finally, Reese steps in, and he calls the university, and he's like, hey, what's going on here? And they explained to him what was happening. Because I was getting stalled, what, two months? Yeah, two months. And it was really, un- it was really not unnecessary. They could have just told me out, out front, but they didn't. And it's interesting because when they told Reese what, what the problem was, it wasn't my grades, because I had good grades. Um, and it wasn't my whatever those entrance scores are for grad school. I don't know what that is. Those were fine, too. It was an issue with their internal politics and administrative whatever. But I found out that that wasn't the solution. That wasn't the provision that Jesus had for me going to that particular school. Instead, uh, God organized it for me to go to a different school, same, same area, and it worked out to my benefit not to go to that school, but rather to do this one. And I got through school, got, got my graduate degree, and the timing worked out perfectly fine. But it wasn't in the way that I thought. And this is true with Jesus' provisions. When we have conver- And I talked with Jesus on this whole thing a lot. I gave Jesus an earful. Hey, what's going on? Answer this prayer. You know, solve this. Fix this. Do your miracle thing. Do, the, do what you do. And I remember Jesus. I never heard anything. I didn't see anything. But it was interesting how Jesus solved it. And in the same way, Jesus solves this need for wine by doing something really weird. Right? He tells the servants, fill up the water pots with water and then take some of the water to the master of the ceremony. That seems weird, right? The method seems a little shady, right? But they did it. They followed through and the master of the feast said, this is better than the first stuff you served. And in most of these parties, people serve the good stuff when everybody gets sloshed and then they don't know the bad stuff. (laughs) Read it. You're like, that's not true. Read it. That's what he says. A la Sarah. So here's what happens. And for me, the same thing happened. I remember I wanted to go to that university, but Jesus had a different method and a different plan, although I still got to university and still got my graduate degree, but not in the way that I anticipated. So Jesus' provisions for you often happen, number one, in Jesus' timing, not yours. So there's no sense chewing your nails. Because that's not going to make it go faster. And in ways that you don't always anticipate. Let's stop telling Jesus how to do his job. He's the provider. And we get to say thank you. Right?
So Jesus takes care of safety. Jesus takes care of provision. The third conversation, I really like this one. I think this is fantastic, is what I call the stability. (laughs) Stability conversation. And this is in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 23 and 31. What happens in these verses is Jesus is out doing his miracle stuff, casting out demons, doing all the cool teaching things, you know, ruffling the feathers of all the religious leaders. And his family hears about him doing all this stuff, his brothers and his mom. And his brothers and his mom come to collect him and take him home to kind of get back in normal, conventional living. That even says in one of the translations, they said he was crazy. Right? So the third, third question concern relates to stability. Stability. And I appreciate that when they came to collect Jesus, the crowd gathered to such an extent they couldn't even eat a meal. And his own people, Jesus' family, heard heard this. They went out to take custody of him. For they were saying he lost his senses. Translation, he's crazy. Do you ever have any family members say you're crazy? Do you have any crazy family members? <laughs> yes, and amen. And it says the scribes who were coming down from Jerusalem said he's possessed by Beelzebub, cast out demons. And then this is what Jesus says to them. He says, who are my family? Who are my mother? Who are my brothers? It is everyone who obeys, hears and obeys the word of God. And I think sometimes we want our idea of stability, stability in our family. It has this preconceived idea that it's got to be normal and conventional it has to fit our way of thinking but i want to encourage you that with jesus stability with jesus doesn't always look conventional and normal and at the end of the day family it's more important for our family members to go after jesus and follow him even if it doesn't look conventional or normal I think this is really important because, and I'm going to ask this question. Are you okay if I talk about Becca? Becca, where are you? Is that okay? As far as Bali and all that? You're like, no. How are we going to tell you no in front of everybody? That's impolite. (laughs) I'm sorry. I should have checked this out beforehand. Sorry. But I love the Giles because this family, they don't always do the things that seem to be conventional and normal. Becca's totally cool. Becca, she was doing the guitar over here. She's Pastor Bree's sister, right? So that's totally cool, all about family. But Becca basically lives in Bali, Indonesia as a missionary. She's home for a little pause because of COVID, right? Just to see your family. How cool is that? It's so perfect. See, this is like on the spot. It's really fantastic. So Becca's home to see her family, but it's not conventional, It's not conventional for your 20-some-odd daughter to go to Bali to be a mission. That's unconventional. What I appreciate about the Giles, though, is they they want Becca to follow Jesus even more than they want conventional, normal existence. And I would say that's true. For That needs to be our paradigm for all of us, that we don't necessarily want our family to fit our norms, but we want our family to walk with Jesus. And that may not always look conventional. I say this because some people say to me, hey, 
you're following in your mother's footsteps, right? But the reality is I'm following Jesus' footsteps because I'm not following a human, no matter how cool she is, no matter what her accomplishments are. I'm not trying to be her, and I'm not trying to follow after her. And my parents have never raised me to do that. My parents have raised me to follow Jesus and to walk with Jesus and to go after Jesus' footsteps, not a human. Let's do the same for our family. Let's do the same. So when Jesus talks with his family, he does these conversations, concerns about stability, concerns about provision, concerns about safety. The last conversation Jesus has, and I think this is one of the most powerful, is in, and it relates to the future. The future. What about the future? And this is in John chapter 19, verse 25. Because Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's obviously going to die. And I appreciate what he does. Because when he's on the cross, he sees his mom in verse 26. And he says to John, the disciple whom he loves, standing nearby, he says to his mother, behold your son. And then he says to John, behold your mother. And what Jesus does, even on the cross, is he looks out and cares for the future of his family. He's taking care of his mom. He's saying, I'm entrusting you, mom, into the care of John. John, I want you to take care of my mom. And this is his, one of the last things he says before he dies. And Jesus is concerned about your future, the future of your family, every bit as much, even more than you. And even in the most grim, bleak, seemingly discouraging moment of his life, Jesus is still looking after taking care of the future. If Jesus can do that hanging on the cross for his mom, certainly he can do that for all of us with our families and their futures. Can we trust Jesus with the future with our family? Absolutely. He knows, he cares, he's got a plan, and he's already organized things. So in these four concerns, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. And I want to finish with this idea for you. I think it's interesting because his mom, in Luke chapter 1, verse like 29, and then three times in Luke chapter 2, it says this. It says, Mary kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And then in chapter 2, it says, Mary reflected, Mary pondered, Mary considered these things. Because when Mary was pregnant with Jesus, very supernatural, and then watched the things around his birth, around his, his kind of growing up, infant years, toddler years, it says she paused and she reflected. She didn't react. She reflected. And I would say that's an important ingredient for us with our families. How many times is it easy to react? They say something. They do something. They give us that look, which we hate that look. Or we plink them, push their, and we react. Nobody can push your buttons like your family. Boy, howdy, your kids, your parents, woo, your brothers, your sisters, right? I mean, think about it. Nobody gets your goat like them. But I appreciate that Mary models for us. We don't have to react. We can reflect. Pause. Take a second. 
instead of doing that impulsive reaction, you know, it's like putting, pushing a button. It's Pavlov's dog. You know, they ring the bell and you start salivating. You don't have to do that. You can choose a pause. You can choose to reflect. You can, okay, let's, let's, let's think about that. Reflect rather than react. And I appreciate that Mary models this for us. It's important for her because her son was not going to be like any other kid ever existed. And I think her behavior and her choices that she made, I think there was very much Holy Spirit helping her to not respond and react out of her flesh. Even when she got nervous about him in the temple, I mean, that was another level set. She, on the whole, in his upbringing, chose to reflect rather than react. And so I'd say here's a couple takeaways for you to think about. Number one, takeaway. <laughs> this is a really good one. What is in your soul? Nobody reflects and shows you what's in your soul more, usually, than your family. Right? Families plink, and, and we can blame them, him, she, her, whatever, blame, or we can say, wait a second, there's something in me that's responding, that's triggered, that's reacting, da 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 Why don't I look at myself rather than beat up on them? Choose to look at yourself. What's in your own soul? Because if you can start to look at what's in your own soul, then I think we can start to have uh, more godly interactions <laughs> with our family. They may do all kinds of yucky stuff and bad decisions and say yucky, blah, 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 that. But I still get to choose me. I'm not controlled by what they do or they don't do. So if I respond, react, yucky, that's not on them. That's what's coming out of me. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if I have ugly coming out of my mouth, that means there's ugly in my heart. So that's my issue, <laughs> not them. They got their own issues, and you and I both know we can't fix their issues any more than they're going to fix our issues. But we can let Holy Spirit fix our issues. So what's in your soul? And letting Holy Spirit lead us into truth. Reflect or react? Number two, I think this is really helpful. Are you willing to let your expectations to God, to, to defer your expectations to God's plans rather than your expectations. I know, that, was, that didn't come out right. But here's what I want to ask you to think about. I, have, I can have expectations for my kids, right? But at the end of the day, I want God's plans to have a higher priority than my expectations. My dad, when I was growing up, I took piano lessons for nine years. <laughs> Torturous years. It was torture for everybody. My dad wanted me to be good at piano, right? Vocal performance, you know, all that stuff. And, but it really wasn't in God's plan <laughs> for my life to do piano. And after nine years, I think we all came to that conclusion it's not really God's plan. 
that's a great example, but I think for many of us, we need to think about that for our own expectations. I want this. And we can want good things for our kids, for our, our parents. I'm not saying you don't want good stuff, but ultimately, let's go for God's plans. Let's affirm God's plans and make those a higher priority than our expectations. Number three, another takeaway here. I think this is really important. I call this the three M's. Methods, right? How something happens. Mediums, that means context, you know, where and, and, and the environment. And then manipulation. Some of us are guilty of a whole lot of manipulation. And we use all kinds of spiritual weapons. We turn the Bible into the battering ram. Oh, the Bible says. Right? But family, let's appreciate that God can work and move and change and do things in our family's life. And God doesn't need our manipulation to achieve God's plans. Let's be conscientious that God works in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different mediums, and doesn't need our manipulation for God to achieve God's purposes. Let's be mindful of those three M's. And finally, level set. Level set. Level set your family. Family begins with Trinity. Family begins with our Heavenly Father. And I appreciate here at Encounter Church, we talk about family a lot. We talk about, hey, we're family. And, and, and ultimately, I think what this says is that there's a spiritual reality that can exceed and go past a natural biology. And when we appreciate that level setting, that God is our Father, and that you're my brother, you're my sister, we're family together. And some of us are quirky family. Some of us were like, I don't get you, and I don't get you either. But it doesn't mean you're not family. It just means that God made a whole bunch of diversity as very creative, and I get to see creativity right there in the flesh. You do too, and that's not bad. Actually, that's healthy, and that's good. So let's be careful how we see and treat people who are different than us, don't look like us, don't worship like us, don't think like us. Let's be conscientious that God is our heavenly father and has a big family in mind for all of us. So I'd like to ask you to close your eyes and to bow your heads. Um, I'd like for you to just, in your heart and your mind, pick one family member. One family member that's a struggle for you or that you're concerned about. It can be a sister, a brother, uh, an in-law. Sometimes our in-laws are kind of sketchy. It can be a kid. It can be a cousin. It can be somebody staying with you. That's kind of like extended family. I'd like for you to pick that one person. I'd like for you to put them in your hands, and we're going to pray for them. We're going to lift them up to God. So, Father, we lift up to you this family member. Father, I lift up to you, Jonathan. I lift up Jonathan to you right now. And I thank you that he is your son. You've made him. You've designed him. I lift up to you, Brian. I lift up to you these individuals 
that, that are really struggling with you, struggling with their lives and choices that they're making. And I pray, Father, that you would set up times, places, and events for them to experience you, to experience your love, to walk in your truth, to live a redeemed life. In the meantime, I pray for us. <laughs> We're like stuck with these people. When they get under our skin, they hurt us, they bother us. I pray for our hearts. Give us tender hearts, forgiving hearts. Give us wisdom on how we interact, when and how and in what ways. I pray for our families, that you would redeem our families and help each, each individual to walk in your plan and in your purpose for their lives. Father, we trust you. We trust you to be who you are and to fully do all that you do. Thank you for helping us, helping us to keep our eyes on you no matter what's going on. And thank you for doing your work in their hearts in Jesus name. Amen. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm super stoked to get time with you. And of course, I'd love for you to subscribe, share this with your friends and really sense God working through you as well as in you in these words. So thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time.